Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the Only Fools and Horses rewatch podcast with myself, Jamie, and my brother, Bobby. How's everything going, Bob? Very well, thanks, Jay. Really looking forward into uh, getting into this big old bumper episode. So I won't lie to you, uh, unfortunately you might have had to wait a week for this, but we are... We've been sat down in that same position, not for a week, but we are getting straight back into part two. Uh, we... Much better than last week's audience. <laughs> so to summarise where we are in the story, Boise and Abdul have set up a deal to bring in some diamonds from Amsterdam, and they're wanting Del Boy to be the courier for this smuggle, for lack of a better term. Slater, however, is well on all their tails, and Del Boy is now currently stuck in the back of Denzel's lorry, with 50,000 in cash, ready to do the exchange, but is instead heading on his way up north. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Part 2 of 1985's Christmas special, to Hallenbach. Stick a pony in me pocket I'll fetch the suitcase from the van You still with us then, Bob? I'm still here, Jay. So it is a little bit late. We have done this in one sitting, so it's 10 o'clock where I am, but it is the ripe old time at, what, 11pm in Norway now? It is, it is. I'm, uh, yeah, trying to keep the energy levels up. I still have, I just happen to have that big bottle of LucasAid next to me. Uh, what is it, a litre? Yeah, it's a litre. And I'm making my way through it, and it's keeping me pretty perky. I probably feel more awake now than when I started on part one. <laughs> Sugar rush. So where were we in the pot, blub? Refresh us, I've forgotten. So, we've just seen the sign A1 for the north, ominously, with Rodney in hot pursuit. And we eventually kind of catch up to the next stage as they're going over the Humber Bridge. So Rodney comes to a toll booth and has a little quibble over 25p, because he does... Uh, he tries to argue that the van only has three wheels, so therefore 75p should be sufficient. But he had a pound on him anyway. So I quite like that logic of Rodney's, though. <laughs> yeah, it's good on your feet thinking. Um, but the guy's comeback is even better, because the picture of the car on the sign only has two wheels. So he basically tells him to get stuffed. Do you know how much the toll booth is now to get over the Humber River? Oh, 750 seven uh, w- 150 Oh, I think about the Seven Bridge. Maybe the Seven Bridge was that much. Right, yeah. I was amazed how low that was, £1.50. Yeah, well, I'm sure they have a million people go over it a year, so it's not too bad. Yeah, they just, you know, really don't want to discourage anyone going up north. They're just desperate. Like, please, we'll keep it as low as we can. Please (laughs) come and see us. Uh, Now, I did read something here. I don't know how much of a problem it was at the time but one of the sources that I read so during this exchange Rodney says I'm laughing look and very quickly slips in a little middle finger and someone said that they were surprised the BBC didn't notice I don't know if that means that at the time BBC wouldn't have aired it had they have noticed or they would have cut it or or what but it was an interesting thought yeah I saw that as well because I did notice the middle finger when he did it um, and I thought that was quite clever and subtle. Yeah, I, I wonder if... I, I can't think of them ever doing that normally. And even if I think of things like Young Ones and stuff that was on at the same time, it was always Two Fingers, which always seems a little bit more jovial to me. Like the British kind of... Two, the, the backwards V sign, I always feel is less aggressive than a middle finger. And a middle, middle, middle finger is like a real like American 
up yours screw you like it, it's very rude where i feel like a, a, a backwards v sign is almost like a yeah, yeah yeah i think the backwards v sign does come up kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek there's a point where dell says no is it cash and curry yeah it is he is cash and curry when he says me and vim are we're like that and he swears at him and rodney has to grab his fingers to twist them i think to say that they're like you know tw- twisted fingers they're close so there's kind of a bit of a swearing thing going on there do you remember that bit no but i do remember another bit where this is in a future episode where delboy references rodney giving someone a v sign and i'm pretty sure he does the sign oh that's in dates he does that in dates he does it when uh he's racing with nervous neris in the car Oh, no, he gives the middle finger, actually. Yeah, he gives the middle finger for that, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah. No, I, I was thinking, in, uh, Del Boy says to Rodney, when Rodney steals the trumpet off Biff, he goes, you gave, you blew down the wrong end, gave him the V sign, and walked <laughs> out with it. There is, there, there's actually a few, I've got a couple going to my head now. So, clearly the V signs do come up and are generally accepted, but the middle finger does come up in that one as well. So, maybe it's just a moot point and the BBC weren't too fussed anyway. Certainly made me chuckle. So we cut here after uh, Denzel has finally come to a stop. And uh, there's a very interesting little scene where he goes into a, a little local cafe and has an exchange with it's like his fairy godmother or something. It's a very odd little scene. She's telling him he needs to slow down or he's going to go mad. And she's seen it all before uh, with these drivers. But um, for some reason, maybe it's because he's up north, Denzel's really turned the scouse up to 11. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I noticed it, but I think he is always pretty scouse. I was thinking it earlier when he was saying, uh, you yeah, know, no, I don't want anything. I thought he was sounding pretty scouse. But I, I think that's just in his younger days as an actor or as in Denzel or Paul Barber actually being a bit more inherently scouse in his younger days than later. But I did kind of pick up on it. I think it's it's the inflection in every single one line he says to this woman in the calf. He goes up at the end. You're looking tired, lovey. You're dark round the eyes. I'm dark around everywhere, Lil. But listen, don't you worry about me. I'm a big, strong lad, you know. I'll prove it to you. Um, which is just weird because he doesn't he doesn't do that when he's down south. But I've, I, I like the idea that that's a thing he does more when he's up north. But that's just me. Being, like, that's just my little theory. Um, it's funny. My missus actually recognised this calf lady and said, "Oh, isn't isn't she quite well known?" And I was like, "I, I don't recognise her," but I looked her up, and um, she is, you know, a relatively well known TV actress. And she, the thing that my missus would have known her from, is another David Jason thing, and that's the Darling Buds of May. Oh, she had, uh, yeah, which was actually weirdly big in Norway um, under a different name. It was called uh, Leave Em a Larkin or Life with the Larkins. And uh, uh, was was shown over here uh, in the late nineties, I think. Do you know what's funny? Just as a little tangent, I've seen Frost, I've seen Open All Hours, I've seen some of the other early stuff that David Jason was doing, but I don't think I've ever watched a full episode of Darling Bloods of Me. No, I definitely haven't. I, I have been. We've been talking about it because she's interested to kind of see it again. She enjoyed it a lot many years ago, but I'm not sure how it would hold up. But I'm. I think we noticed the other day actually that it was being it was going to be repeated on Norwegian TV like around now, and I'm guessing because of lockdown they're just thinking it's a nice cozy thing to put on that there's loads of. 
it actually went down really well though it won various awards and was really really well received and inherently it's it is a great series so maybe you should have a little look into it at some point yeah i don't see it being our next rewatch podcast but i'm certainly interested to have a look definitely not so after denzel's decided that he needs to have a little bit more chill time Rodney comes to the back of the van and finally lets Dell out, who comes out of a a pile on the floor under these sheets and his back's a bit achy and he's squinting because it's the first time he's seen daylight in ages. Is that you, Rodney? Yes, me. Rodney, you come and save me. You're a saint, Rogers. Oh, you're a 42 carat saint. He has a look around saying that he wants to get back home and and realises he's nowhere near home, and it turns out they're in Hull. Look, do you want something to eat or a cup of tea? No, no, that's all. We ain't got time for whatever. We've got to get the aeroplane tickets and a lot, haven't we, eh? Come on, let's go. Come on, Rodney, come on. Where the bloody hell am I? Hull. Hull? What, Hull in... What's his name? Yorkshire, yeah. What the bloody hell am I doing in Hull? So Hull is about a four-hour drive. It's pretty much 200 miles from Peckham. So they've done a fair old, fair old whack. And they're just about to drive off. And Dell has a bit of, bit of moment of clarity. Slater's got all the airports covered. Why has he got all the airports covered? Because that's how he thinks that we're getting back into the country. Yeah. But that's how we are getting back in the country. Not anymore, we ain't. We're going by boat. Oh, yes, like it, Derek. Yeah, we get a ferry. Not the ferry, you plonker. Are we even going to mention the whole, it's very weird, they drove 200 miles and he never caught up or they never stopped for gas or a piss or anything? I don't know, four hours is not too far to do it. Rodney wouldn't be able to, The only Rodney would lose them. If, if Rodney lost sight of them, then he would have no idea where they were going. And that van can probably only go 60 miles per hour. So it's not surprising that they're not too far away. I mean, he could have just kept flashing them, flashing him. I mean, but... over four hours, he managed to keep close enough to not lose him, but also not get his attention and never catch up <laughs> or fall out of sight. He kept the perfect, like, 200 metre maybe distance away for 200 miles. It sounds like uh, like a riddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, stays perfectly on the tail, never catches up, never slows down, never signals me. Oh, it's Rodney in a three-wheel van. <laughs> yeah, like I said, there's a few things that we, we have to suspend disbelief in, in this. A lot of time and effort has gone into the main storyline. And as always, there's going to be parts that, that don't really add up. But eh, just don't care. So, Dell seems to think that they can sail to Holland and back. And has decided to try and find himself a boat to hire. I think the whole idea is summed up perfectly by Rodney here. We're going to sail out of here to Holland and back again and no one will be any the wiser. We... We are going to... Us. In the sea. Yeah. Look, it's not far... Look, it's only across the water there. Look, isn't it, eh? I mean, I remember seeing it on the map. It's only, only that far. Derek will die. You know Rodney's got his serious voice in when he's saying Derek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that very rarely happens, does it? 
It actually came up a couple of times on this episode. I think it actually came up on the last as well. But yeah, that's uh, that's his serious. That's his that's his dad voice. <laughs> Del handles his own when he's talking to the captain. I mean, he does say "ahoy, ship mate," but he uh, he did know the name of the boat, the schooner, which I was pretty impressive. I'm surprised that he knew what a schooner was. If anyone doesn't know, it's a type of boat with some sails. I think it's got like four masts or something. I don't know what it means. It, it, I looked it up. It's a picture of a boat and a particular type of boat. I'm not going to tell you what it's it com- is. It's a medium-sized kind of boat thing. It's a medium-sized boat. Trawler-esque. So he wants a medium-sized boat with an engine. And the captain has clearly got an eye for a quick buck because he is happy to let Dell take it off his hands because there's a chance that they'll sink it and he'll get a nice insurance payout. So, no worries there. That is quite smart there from the captain. It's heartless, but smart. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's literally letting a couple of people disappear to their death. Yeah, hadn't really thought about it like that. Um, Talking of death, uh, I happened to look up this captain on IMDb as well. Guess what massive 80s cult film he horror film he was in oh right when you're gonna say death i thought this is not a great way way to introduce any kind of trivia but now it makes (laughs) sense uh 80s horror it's set in london it's uh, he plays a literally tiny part i think it's called lorry driver (laughs) yeah he's not like the main character or anything uh american werewolf in london oh what a film that's not set in london sorry what Surely that's set in the Dales, on the the Moors. Say, say the name one more time. What? The name American of the film. Werewolf in London. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I mean, this isn't going to go in the pod. <laughs> Definitely should. But uh, isn't it on the Moors? I thought the Moors was up north. Doesn't it um, come back no, to No, there's, there's Moors down south. There's Moors bloody everywhere. For some reason, I'm getting confused with the Dales and the Yorkshire Dales. Okay, so assuming that that isn't going to be... (laughs) Not set in London, though, is it? (laughs) That's got to stay in. (laughs) No, I was thinking of American World from Paris. No, Uh, that was not set in London. uh, That's set in Berlin. (laughs) Prick. (laughs) Right, so assuming that doesn't stay in... What? No way. When you edit, you can decide what stays in. I'm not, that is actually an absolute turkey move. <laughs> Laugh at yourself, it's fine. And that was one of my favourite films when I was younger. It's pretty violent. Uh, even now, I think it would be pretty horrific to watch. Yeah, it's funny. When I looked him up on, on IMDb, you open him up and uh, there's like a picture of him. And then the very next thing at the head of his IMDb is a still from the American Wealth in London trailer of like the guy standing looking in the mirror with his zombie mate behind him. And I was like, shit, that really caught me <laughs> off guard. <laughs> Just like looking up this guy from Only Fools and Horses and it's like a zombie in the picture and it was quite eerie. I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. What do you mean open him up? He's not a can of bloody baked beans. <laughs> Very good. Because if you are the best but you don't ask questions, then brother, I'm your man. So Rodney is voicing all manner of concerns, as he should be, and eventually Dell decides to put them at rest by saying that he wasn't going to sail or pilot the the ship, as it were, but pilot. 
Yeah, I, I wrote Pilot because I was writing quick notes and couldn't remember what it was called. But Dell quickly puts those worries to rest by saying that he wasn't planning to be the helmsman at the boat, but he was going to get a professional in. The professional was probably not quite as professional as what Rodney might have been hoping for. Dear God. Oh, leave it out, Rodney. That is England's greatest little sailor since Nelson lost the Armada. Ahoy there! Yeah, yeah. Ship ahoy! Del, every single ship or vessel that man has ever sailed on has sunk. I know. Luck's got to change sometime, isn't it, Rodney? <laughs> this is genius. <laughs> genius writing, like how they found a way through everything to get Albert involved and get him on a boat and everything. It's just it's beautiful. It's so well done. So he comes off the train, I think he gets the train and uh, they've only been together for five minutes. They've literally just met up. Albert's carrying this big old duffel bag. He looks like he's just been sent on tour. He's got this sort of like serious militant waddle march on with this duffel bag which is nearly as big as he is on his shoulder uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's got in that but what he hasn't got is any clothes for Rodney and Dell so they're quite understandably livid because they are 24 hours into their same clothes or 48 hours now because they've had to wait for a day for, for Albert to come up So we now cut to the trotters trying to very slowly leave the bay or the harbour and make the way out into open waters. So Dell is standing on the on the bow, leading the way with his lefts and rights. Now you've gone too far. Now you're too far. Right? No, come on, come over to your left. Left. I said, I said left. You've got Albert sitting, you know, behind the wheel, shouting ports and starboards, and getting very confused. Let's port side. I'll come up there and punch you in the bloody nose in a minute. Rodney looking very concerned, blowing up a life vest in the hold. And yeah, you just think, how have they found themselves in this? Like, they are all going to die. For me, this was one of my absolute favourite parts of it. There's something about the way that it was shot. You got, you can still hear all the background noise of Albert and and Dell shouting around, and it's a silent cut to Rodney, and his eyes are just filled with fear, looking up. And and for that very moment, I was like properly in his shoes because you would be. You're on the sea which is one of the cruelest mistresses in or on or surrounding or covering the earth and you are in the hands of some guy who's sunk every ship he's been on somehow and Dell I mean it's properly scary and that little moment it very quickly cuts to him and he kind of blows it up and then has his mouth open looking up filled with fear I properly laughed at that bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole situation they found themselves in is just completely mental, of course. And I don't, I don't think it could be lost on anyone watching that the idea that this could be a good idea is, is just completely unfathomable. Uh, but I, I love it when when they do this in, in kind of well written TV when you find yourself in ridiculous circumstances, but when you follow the journey, it does make sense. You know they haven't jumped the shark; they've just gone through this series of unbelievable events and found themselves in this crazy situation. And yeah, Rodney is terrified. Dell, on the other hand, is loving every second of it. 
They finally make it out the harbour, and Dell is feeling very patriotic. The orchestra kicks in. Ooh. It's an old jingle running down the spine, this, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's in the blood, of course. Makes you feel very, very proud. And I know what I sing to myself when I'm feeling all patriotic. It's obviously the Robin Hood song. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, with his band of men. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. Feared by the good... Yeah, (laughs) it's one of those just ridiculously random things that the Dell comes up with. And it fits in... in the way that it doesn't fit at all like it fits for his character <laughs> yeah it reminded me a lot of when they sang um, We Three Kings We Three that is a Christmas carol <laughs> they couldn't think of a hymn in uh, in Ashes to Ashes it's that same kind of thing he wants he, he feels like he's in a moment where he should be singing an epic appropriate song but he can't think of one so he just gets as near as he can yeah, and I and I, I uh, I'm with Dell on that bit. There is um, I spent quite a lot of time, obviously, on on boats and sailing around while been diving, and it it you do feel without sounding like a hippie, you do feel properly at one with it. There is something <laughs> about hippie. sailing on the ocean and 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 whatever. You you do feel this connection that people were doing this thousands of years ago, and you know it's a big part of human culture. So I was I was right there with him. Maybe not with the Robin Hood, but with the the feeling patriotic. All that joy and uh, patriotism does, however, come to an end when it becomes very clear that they are lost. Very lost. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the North Sea. I mean, the sea is such a big place. <laughs> it is rather lo- It's bigger than Peckham. It's so unfathomably large. I don't understand how... With Albert's knowledge, they thought they would get away with just going in a straight line for a bit. I mean, there's so much sea. To be fair, from from Hull, you probably are going to hit land before you do anything. It's not as though you're going out towards America and into the Atlantic. If you go one direction for long enough, you should eventually hit anywhere from the Nordics to Germany and France or whatever. Which is exactly what they say, right? He kind of points at the map and he says, yeah, somewhere between the Straits of Gibraltar and, what's he say, Finland or something? Copenhagen? Copenhagen, yeah. Somewhere between Copenhagen and, and the Straits of Gibraltar, which is, yeah, that that entire west face of mainland Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they're right. They will eventually hit one of them unless they somehow get turned around and smash back into like the Isle of Wight. So they're pretty lost and Rodney comes up with a pretty great factoid and remembers that you can steer a ship by the stars you can steer a ship by the stars he's right and all i remember seeing it once in the odegan line that's a bloody good idea rodney (laughs) which is great so they're all having a little look out looking up at the stars and albert is peering away millions of money the face Albert has when he's looking up the stars is like the one a five-year-old would have. Like, it's just wonder and 
fascination. Nothing, nothing useful. I, and I don't what part of them thought there would be anything else. I love him. I just bloody love him. Isn't there anything up there that rings a bell? I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be looking for. They've all got names, innit? Like the bear. Things like that. Oh, can't you just find the bear? Well, what does it look like? Well, it looks like a bloody rabbit, doesn't it? I mean, as he said, he was a boiler maintenance man. Like, he would have never seen a star on a boat. If the boat was moving, he was below decks. Yeah, clearly this has no nautical knowledge whatsoever. Albert is clearly the worst sailor ever to grace the seas, and he comes up with one more ridiculous comment. Look! What? Honey! It's Concord! So? I'm just saying, Concord. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him, a sucky old... Ah! I'm going to kill you. Dell, leave him alone. Again, just completely useless. So, we wake up the next morning, or at least they do, and we get some classic uh, tea slapstick humour as Dell Boy is trying to walk along the deck with a couple of cups of tea in hand. Uh, I think about a, a thimble full of tea ends up in the hands of Rodney who's been basically seasick the entire time and not looking much better so uh, Dell does what any good British citizen does when they're lost and asks someone for directions they just so very fortunately happen to stumble across a British gas off- offshore rig and just shouts at the guy Oi! Jump! Which way to Holland? So somehow they're out of stuck and with a pointed finger in the vague direction, they make their way towards Holland. I mean, this is obviously mental. The idea that someone could just say over there, <laughs> that would be like helpful information. But the the most crazy thing about this is I was listening to a uh, interview with Nicholas Linhurst talking about this episode. Uh, and when they said when they filmed it, they actually went to visit an oil platform and they were sort of talking to people there and he said he was chatting to a guy on the platform and discussing this scene and telling him what the joke was and the guy on the platform went yeah happens all the time (laughs) seriously that's what he said so apparently this happens all the time is people drive up to oil platforms and go which way to France yeah, I don't, I don't disbelieve it at all. I'm surprised I haven't done it. I mean, I, I sailed past quite a few offshore rigs before, and they're in waters that I know, so I do know from that that rig what direction, whatever part of the earth is that that people want to go to. But I'm not surprised because there are so many muppets behind the helms of ships. Honestly, some of the things I've seen on the sea is is just frankly frightening so it is genuinely of no surprise to me that it happens quite often i find the idea that someone might ask i totally get but the idea that the response from the person on the platform would just be to wave a finger generally in a direction is just insane and also that then that would be enough you know it's like you were close and now you've got that finger all all will be well yeah, I guess it depends how close it is. If it's 300 miles away, you'd probably go off course. But, you know, if you're 50, 100 miles away, you could probably get in the general direction. 
<laughs> so we cut to Boise and Abdul, and they are voicing a few concerns, but mainly about the fact that the money is counterfeit. Yeah, dun dun dun. It's interesting the the whole counterfeit. I would have liked to have known where they got it and how much it cost to kind of put some context in because it's not like it's free money. Uh, so that that would have been really interesting, uh, but we do never really get that. Also, I found it interesting that uh, Dell has, of course, let them know what he's doing and the plan because they know that uh, they're on a boat and could get lost. I'm amazed that Boise allowed them to take his 50 grand, counterfeit or not, onto a boat with Uncle Albert. <laughs> yeah, the the whole outsider looking into this is just ridiculous. <laughs> like You just have no faith whatsoever. But lo and behold, um, the next scene we see is some windmills, and we are arriving into Amsterdam. God, I love this city. I- I've been to Amsterdam quite a few times. I think I've actually been with you before. Did you come to get us a stag do? Indeed, yeah. That's the, uh, the only time I've been. That's the only time you've been? It is, yeah. Oh, no way. Um, well, nice that we had a bit of time there together. That was a bit lewd, that one. Amsterdam is really just actually quite beautiful i spent time there you know on the lash with the lads for a couple of stag do's but i've also spent time with family and partners and actually really just enjoyed amsterdam for a really beautiful city it it was nice to to see some of that we get some real dutch sort of umpar carnivaly music going on as that as we're pulling in there and it's just brilliant yeah, it's very nice to get that little tour around. It's nice that they did actually go to Amsterdam and film this stuff. I think it wouldn't have been... Uh... There's, of course, It Never Rains, the regular episode, which was meant to be in Spain, which definitely wasn't filmed in Spain. Um, but, you know, they've got they've got, uh, they've got a bit more budget here. They actually go to Amsterdam, and you, you get to have a nice little look around, and, and it's very nice. Uh, but quite quickly, things do get all serious, and uh, Dell's ready to make the meeting. We stay down here, all right? Why? Hmm? So we don't know what sort of welcome we're going to get out there, do we? Might turn very nasty. Oi, listen, Joe, if there's going to be any trouble, I want to be up there with you. I want you to stay down here, Rodney. First sign of any trouble from up there, now you leg it. No, no sh- what? Rodney, you keep your eye on him. Make sure he stays down here. All right, Joe, it's for the best, son. So Dan walks into this guy's office, Mr. Van Cleef's office. And as soon as I heard this guy speak, I was kind of like, this this guy isn't Dutch. I know Dutch pretty reasonably well. And yeah, in fact, after a few seconds, I was like, is he even trying to put on an accent? Not a worry, Mr. Trotter. You're here now. He just sounds English. So I had a little look, and he is. He's, I can't remember where he said he was from, but he is an English actor. And he basically makes no attempt to do any kind of Dutch accent at all how hard is it to get a Dutch actor to to have find someone who speaks the lingo or can at least put on an accent I mean especially when you're in Amsterdam yeah in it like they probably didn't film that scene in Amsterdam but I mean they were there yeah they were in they could have filmed that scene in Amsterdam it couldn't have taken a lot more budget to do it but surely there's enough Dutch roaming around London that they could have just got anyone in to do that scene I mean they're all massive anyway it's not as though they have to find someone that looks a particular way I don't know maybe it's hard to find good actors that aren't amateur but still surely this 
you know, this actor had been, had been at a common point that said he'd been in, but he'd been in a couple of things. Surely he could at least try and do an accent. Oh, yeah, she wants some fish and chips with that. You know, anything. Like, just give it a go, mate. That's why with Dutch accents are, are, are often so hammy, though. Like, it's such an easy accent to overdo. Like, of course, you know, gold member being the prime example. Would you like a schmuck and a pancake? You know, flapjack and a cigarette? Hmm, all right. Sugar and a waffle? No. Pipe and a crepe? No. Bong and a blintz? I mean, actually, as it happens, uh, Mike Myers is very good at doing accents and does do a very good accent. He actually does a very good Dutch accent, but obviously is slapsticking, taking the piss of the the actual context of it. But I don't know, like, just, just putting a little shh, just a little yes every now and then. It wouldn't be hard to do that. Anyone can <laughs> do Sean that. Co- is that Sean Connery or <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm a smarty part now. Um, but anyway. Like a smoke and a pancake, my smarty part But yeah, it was, uh, it was disappointing. But what can you do? Anyway, he's in there. And Van Cleef is basically asking if he's got the money, and he's asking if he's got the diamonds. It's it's nice here. There's a fun little power play here over the phone. Van Cleef phones through to Boise, and then he's got to hand the phone over to Dell. Like he just kind of holds the phone up and refuses to move, and then Dell kind of goes to grab it, and then has to walk round to the other side of the desk, and then like moves a lamp so he can move. It's just this whole like little to and fro, which is completely unnecessary, but. I really enjoyed that they bothered to put things like this in. It just shows the like extra level of this show. Yeah, that definitely really helps to set the scene that that the uh, the diamond guys are big fry. You know, they not only are they to be feared, but they are obviously portraying that they should be feared, and they are the dominant ones there. Dell is merely the courier, but Dell is not taking. You know, he's not being pushed around. But yeah, Dale has a phone call and um, make sure everything's getting checked over. The diamonds are being checked by um, Abdul's cousin to make sure they're kosher. They have a quick look over the money and uh, are none the wiser, the Dutch. And they, they seem to be happy. The deal goes down beautifully. And Dale Boy wanders out with uh, 30 little diamonds, happy as Larry. And then Van Cleef instantly jumps on the phone and is giving away details of the courier and what's just gone down, and suddenly it all becomes clear that Van Cleef is clearly a snitch. Yeah, and just just before that's been going on, Rod, we did get a really quick cut to Rodney. He's seen a sort of suspicious character looking on on him, and he, he's got his wits about him, and he's having a little look. And as Daryl comes down, this goes one further, and we get another police car pulling up, and then we get a chase and the police are running down the road with this mystical character seemingly trying to chase them down and Dell, as always just shouts it's another nice little uh, tour through Amsterdam here as they're kind of running around you get to see a little bit more of it and um, fair play to Albert a man can run I think he'd run better than I can yeah and as a complete cast contrast to Albert running really well the the uh, the extras are doing a terrible job. They they look like they've gone for a little Sunday stroll, jog. They're not. There's no intensity in their walk ever. What we find out moments later is that the mysterious character is actually the one that the police are after, and yet they're walking or running, or supposedly running six feet away from each other, and like their their faces are just completely 
without emotion. Like, they couldn't care. Yeah, it was very weird. They could have cast that better and acted that out better. Because, yeah, they kind of catch him after that little run. And he's basically already got his hands behind his back. No one says anything at any point. And it's, yeah, the whole thing is a bit odd. But it it was nice to have the scene where, um, you know, Albert's finally stopped running after a bloody great effort of really, you know, running his guts out. And, uh, you know, Rodney suggests they should just leave him. He's got nothing incriminating on him, um, which actually is what they should have done, quite frankly. Um, might sound cold, but I'm on Rodney's side. Uh, but Del Boy goes, no, you know, we, we can't just leave him. And they all just stop. And uh, he was ready to, uh, you know, he was ready to let them all go down together. Uh, but it, fortunately, they didn't. Yeah, I think that is kind of the right thing to do. There is a chance that Albert could be held liable or at fault or even criminally for anything even with no evidence he could still go through some stuff um so yeah very very noble um of dell on that one you say there's 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 nothing else spoken but that when they handcuff this other guy there's a tiny little bit of mumbled dialogue and i was really trying to listen because it it sounds like it is dutch and they're, they're obviously in Amsterdam for this scene. So I was wondering if they had actually used two Dutch actors or if they just had two English guys go, oh, I should have the foot or whatever, like just bumbling some, some Dutch. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's good with my child. <laughs> There's some Dutch for you. Was there some Dutch? Was that just you making noises? No, well, I was mumbling, but actually what I said is, uh, <laughs> uh, is good. Mechiao, which is all is good with you, which is a question. All is good, Mechiao. You sound like <laughs> a Harry Enfield character. <laughs> I'm yeah. considerably richer than Yao. <laughs> that is how it sounds. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I was wondering if they actually had used Dutch actors there, at which point they surely could have got a Dutch Van Cleef but I think it's actually just mumbled in a way to sound like Dutch I, I couldn't get any clear audio pick up on it so as we come out of that scene we get a very quick moment when we were back in the police station with Slater and this is a little bit of a weird one we're looking at a whiteboard and on the whiteboard is a few different names anyone of any fans will recognise some of the names we've got Monkey Harris Paddy the Greek and Sunglasses Ron uh, amongst some other names but rather interestingly, all those three names are circled and pointing to an area saying inside. Uh, so one thing that never really comes up as far as I can remember is that, that these three fairly well-known side characters that we never see are actually in, in prison, in jail at the time. Which kind of makes me think, what's the point in writing them down on the blackboard? I mean, how did this conversation go? Right, okay, let's list off the suspect. Monkey Harris. No, he's inside. But write him down anyway. Okay, cool. Paddy the Greek. No, he's inside as well. Cool. Stick him down. Like, why? why? What's, what's going on here? Maybe they wrote the list, then went to investigate them one by one, and then it was inside, inside, inside. Really? Slater with his finger on the pulse and a chief inspector doesn't know that these fairly three famous criminals aren't inside. Are they famous criminals? Aren't they just like, you know, shitty traders like Dell? Well, you know, famous in their shitty trader circles. <laughs> it was a bit weird just because they spent all this time not being sure who the courier is and then they make this list which makes it patently obvious. If they're the only suspects, then... I mean, it's it's 
it's right there in black and white that he's now officially decided there's only five suspects, three of which are in jail, one of which is Trigger, and one of which is Dell. So therefore, it must be Dell. And it's like it's taking you a week to work this out. Yeah, Denzel's on there as well, but Denzel's got a mark saying that he's having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> oh yeah, which is impressive that they've heard about that, given that it happened yesterday and he's in Hulk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But you know. Slater's statement that's on a hunch, even though he's clearly got the uh, information from uh, Van Cleef. So they're going to head off to uh, the airports and and start keeping watch for them to come back. And um, the Trotters are coming back again from Amsterdam. Somehow managed to get lost again. However, they have a massive piece of good fortune when Rodney spots the Zeebrugge to Hull ferry and decides that that would be an outstanding move to just follow that, which they do. And I think we all know how that's going to turn out. I, it, it's, uh, it was funny because I, I watched this with, with the missus, as I said before, and uh, I think she'd only seen it once a long time ago, and she didn't see it coming at all and absolutely cracked up. Yeah, no yeah. way. And, it, and I was like, yeah, it, it is very good. I feel like you might not see it. No, I, I don't think you necessarily do see it first time. I thought that was one of the most obvious parts of the entire episode. Like, like I said, I don't remember this episode so well that I can remember the jokes, but it was obvious that that was going to happen to me. But I can see how someone not paying as much attention as I did might miss it. I, I thought it was hilarious. It is still I like brilliant. That they they waited quite a while to reveal the joke as well, which I thought was nice. Like you don't find out about it until Dell is going through the story of what happened when they're finally back with uh, Boise and Abdul. So yeah, I mean Abdul's kind of panicking, but Boise's said that Dell's already contacted them to say he's on English soil and essentially on his way around. Yeah, he said they had no problem getting through customs. Now. This whole stuff here, I never really figured out, and they're all a bit vague about it. They needed their passports, because Albert brought them, and they've been through some kind of customs on the way back. But I'm guessing it's just a customs that the police don't happen to be looking for them at. But I was very intrigued how that all worked. Like, if you just hire a random boat, what, when they pull up back to the harbour, they have to go through some kind of customs? Is there going to be a customs every harbour? Like, how does that even work? No, not every harbour, but I think that they are specifically in a port, so in a port of trade, I think, for uh, people coming off of ships in that area do have to go through some kind of customs. Um, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure in ports, when you do have that sort of thing going on, there is fairly limited, although although I think a lot of people stay on on ship and don't come on land, but I, I don't know enough about it, but... I have no doubt they would have had to have done customs. I mean, I, I, I occasionally deliver beer to a, a cruise liner and always have to go through the, the customs, actually, uh, to do that. It's a pain in the ass. Just take your passport? Uh, just to... No, but I like vehicle is registered and then you have to like go and get like a key card and go through these gates and it's, it's just, a, just a bit of a pain in the ass, really, uh, just to get into the, the kind of port area. But yeah, I, it's interesting, like we said before, they just popped over to Amsterdam and back on this random boat, three random blokes. Uh, you'd think that there'd be a few questions being asked of them by any customs officer, even if they were completely unaware that there was they were meant to be on the lookout for a diamond smuggling operation. Yeah, I'm never sure about 
the whole stamping thing like it seems like some countries religiously stamp and some don't but I don't know if back in 1985 if all countries are stamping but the stamps give away a lot for so I mean one of the things that I've done when I was traveling was was border bouncing in Southeast Asia and so on and you can get your collar felt there because the stamps obviously show that you're going in and out of the country and a lot of people are breaking the rules so assuming that stamping was quite uh, common then then yeah I mean there's there's loads of different ways that they would be potentially pulled up or that would make it look like they're doing something dodgy I mean it does look dodgy as you like <laughs> hired a boat drove there come back I mean they could have just had 100 kilos of cocaine in the in the hole yeah and obviously they've, they've got no change of clothes they look like shit I mean, it's uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe they just put the dogs around looking for drugs, and they were clean and went fine. Maybe, maybe the idea that these guys look too much like crap to have had anything to do with diamonds. So when they were clear for drugs, then they were happy. What What is your alibi in a situation? So you're Dell, and someone asks questions. Oh, what what we what did you do for twenty four hours or forty eight hours in Holland? Went to the Heineken Museum. I don't know. <laughs> Check out Anne Frank's house. <laughs> yeah, basically. I hate Heineken, so I definitely, I definitely wouldn't be going there. <laughs> oh, in some countries, Heineken is the best beer you can get. Yeah, terrible countries. <laughs> no, don't be harsh on the countries. They just have terrible <laughs> alcohol production. So the exchange is going down and literally as the diamonds and the money hit the table, lo and behold, we get Speedy Gonzalez looking Slater opening the door complete with sombrero. Buenos dias. Bloody hell. Slater. It's another great entrance from uh, from Jim Broadbent. He seems to specialise in these. They all try running away in various directions, but they get held off from every exit. And uh, Slater wanders in, starts having a little uh, flick through the diamonds, uh, counts them, and is pleased to hear there are 30. Everyone looks at each other suspiciously. So Boise and Abdul were trying to heave all the blame on Del Boy and trying to claim their in- innocence. Albert tries a little arm Spartacus moment, but uh, no one's having any of it. And a Roma boy comes up with a pretty easy ultimatum, which sounds a bit too good to be true. There are two ways we can handle this unfortunate situation. One, I take you all down the nick with the evidence and see you banged up for five years apiece. Or two, I walk out of here and pretend it never happened. So clearly everyone's up for the latter and pretending that it didn't happen. And we find out that... uh, Van Cleef and Slater have been in cahoots the whole time. You found me out, you rascal. What? You and Van Cleef? That's right. He offered me a little business deal. He sets up a bunch of wallies who are greedy enough to smuggle diamonds into the country and I pick them up this side of the water. Not only do we get paid at both ends, you take all the risks. Brilliant, isn't it? And Slater's done it again. He, he's tucked them up hook, line and sinker and he's he's got the money the diamonds like you said they've been paid on both ends so it's it's a pretty pretty brilliant scheme really very profitable yeah he's absolutely done them up like kippers and he wanders off apparently into the proverbial sunset 
and uh, Dell decides to call it a day and summarises it all beautifully. Uh, what an absolute catastrophe this whole thing has been. You sent me halfway round the world. I've been to Amsterdam. I've been to Hallenbeck. For what? Slater's taken the diamonds, he's taken the money. On top of all that, my two mates have grasped me up. One actually grassing, you know? No, 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 it was more of a diversity tactic. Yeah, to divert the blame from yourselves. So we cut to Hoskins and Slater in the car, and Hoskins is pretty confused because, again, they've pursued these diamonds three times and no evidence has turned up. However, all is not as it seems, as uh, young Hoskins makes a cheeky right turn where there's a, a barricade of coppers waiting and it turns out uh, they all knew exactly what was going on, or at least Hoskins did, and he's wired, and he is catching Slater red-handed now, finally, with the diamonds, with the money, and Slater's in big trouble. They've known about you for a long time, and they just couldn't catch you in possession till now, sir. You've set me up. You've set yourself up, sir. Yeah, and just to round it all off, we get a little uh, switch up to Van Cleef, who looks like he's in some sort of bank and is also being arrested in Amsterdam. So the the villains of this story are are not done so well. They're going down. Everything's getting tied up pretty nicely. We cut to Boise and Abdul kind of lamenting their losses a bit, but saying it was all counterfeit money, so it's no big loss. However, Boise does point out that the 15 grand he was given Dell was anything but and uh, quotes a very good reason as to why uh, he decided to do that. I drew it out of the bank Friday. I didn't intend to pay Del Boy funny money. I ain't into plastic surgery. We're back in the flat and we're having a bit of a debrief into everything that's happened and Del lets on that he knew that the money, the 50 grand, was counterfeit. There's one thing I do know about Rodney and that is kosher readies. <laughs> oh, cheers. You didn't tell no one? Oh, yes. I said, excuse me, Mr Van Cleef. All that money, it's Mickey Mouse money. Of course I didn't. <laughs> I, I like the idea that Dell says if there's one thing he knows, it's kosher readies. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine that he's come across his more than his fair share of uh, funny money in his time. So he has got a little bit of silver lining to this whole story. And him and Albert say that, that you know, everything's turned up trumps and ask Rodden to hold out his hand. As they do, Albert gets out his pipe, upturns it and out fall a couple of lovely little shining diamonds. We get a very long awaited French phrase. They're real, aren't they? They're top of the range, my son. Blue, white, purity, absolutely clean. They are, as they say in France, chasse. The former. Not only has it been this entire episode, but I don't think we've had one for two or three. We get chasse de fume, which the only translation I could see is hunting form, which I'm not sure is accurate, but that's what he says. It's interesting this. So it, I think this is played up to be that they, Dell and Albert had already arranged to do this before ever turning up uh, to do the exchange with Boise and Abdul as kind of a... Uh, to make up for the fact that Dell had been sent there with counterfeit money and was therefore in a lot more risk. Uh, that's kind of how I read that situation. I'm not sure if that's how you read it. Yeah, I guess that, that was always the plan because they wouldn't have been able to do it post giving the diamonds over anyway. So that was that was already there 
whether it was because of that or just because he's a sneaky little Russian, I don't know. But yeah, Dale says that once it goes through the fence that they'll get about six grand for the pair. So uh, not too bad, really. Six grand for less than a few days' work, regardless of the fact they smell. Not too bad. Not bad at all. But then there's a cherry on this very beautiful cake when Rodney points out that the 15 grand that was being paid to Dell um, wasn't actually picked up by Slater, but was just sitting quietly on the table. And so before he left, Rodney picked it up. And I really like Albert's little quote here as well. You crafty little shot, Rodney. This is a really, really good bit by either Rodney or Nicholas and Hurst, depending what side of the coin you're looking at it. But it's, uh, it's very cool. Rodney is very often not very cool. But he... Bear in mind he had the problem that he has with different things. He has managed to be very light-fingered here and very coolly pulls out this 15 grand with this cheeky smile on his face, waving it around. And it's a chunk of change, like it's a big old water catch there. And um, in my naivety, I really had forgotten the end of this episode for a second and was elated to find out that there was an extra 15 grand there and thought, Jesus, the trotters have got, you know, 21 grand. They're laughing. This is loads of money. And it wasn't until Dell said, well, you know what you can do with that, that I got the realisation that was about to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just mad that he, he wouldn't double check it, that Rodney wouldn't stop him. I mean, it, it's kind of, I think it's meant to be that very interesting kind of touring and throwing they're doing only falls where okay they've got some money all is good they haven't been completely put out but of course they can't win too much there has to be a catch and, and I get it but um, I would I would have liked them to have just had the money it's almost more painful than it is funny like it's obviously meant to be a funny moment and everyone I can say everyone laughs but they don't because there's no audience I laugh so everyone as in the uh, at home audience would obviously laugh at it but it, it you feel it it's like properly horrible they've just quartered the amount of money that they've got for me it's not even the fact that Rodney should have stopped him or Dale wouldn't double check it even if it is counterfeit it's good to use I mean they're criminals we know that they are reasonably serious criminals they've just turned it up to 11 by doing diamond smuggling Spending a bit of counterfeit money is not exactly a big crime in compared to the rest. I mean, it is more dodgy because you're going to have counterfeit money on you and it can be not traced to you, but you've got the evidence there. But, I mean, I've seen counterfeit money before. I've, I've even used it, truth be told, not uh, in a kingpin drug smuggling operation, but I once must have got given a £10 notice change not knowing that it was a fake at the time and then while in the shop a week later gone to pay the money and as I've handed it over and she's taken it off I've sort of double taped and I'd be like that's not a real tenor like you could there was just something about it and I looked at a different one I didn't say anything at the time I was you know 16 or something and you got a free tenor happy days but but it you know the 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 shop clerk didn't think about it you know, and it's it would be so easy to essentially launder that money or use it in places. They're a cash business. They're already taking the diamonds to a fence. They could easily take the, the counterfeit money with them and and you know probably you know sell it for 
at least a third of its value, at the very least. Even if they sold it for a grand, for like a point of its value, I mean, there's a grand. You've got good mm. enough counterfeit money that it fooled criminals, top-flight criminals, even though it was foreign. It, it, it's just a little bit far-fetched. It's a shame that it has to end on that bit, but... Um, you know that they can't have it all. They can't have their cake and eat it. Not that analogy works at all. But some of the cake is out of the window. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, my missus literally walked out at this scene, just like, no, can't watch this. This what? is painful. No way. <laughs> as soon as she realised what she was about to happen, she was like, nope. <laughs> this, this is painful. Too painful. <laughs> And yeah, I do a little bit share that sentiment. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a mildly unfortunate ending, so I think we've dwelled enough on it and should move on. And instead, just try and summarise what has been quite an epic journey. Oh, leave it out, Rodney. What do you think I am, eh? Some sort of Wally. So an epic journey it has been, not just because it's been a long episode, but it's uh, pretty late in proceedings. Been going nigh on uh, three hours for for us in the unedited version. It's now coming up to half midnight for you, Bob. How's your journey been? Yeah, I mean, if I didn't have to get up in five and a half hours, it'd be fantastic. Um, <laughs> I, I've really enjoyed it. It's been very different. It's uh, such a, a a different scale for us to look at and so it puts everything in a slightly different perspective um so but it's been a very fun challenge and i was just so pleasantly not surprised because i knew it was a good episode but i was relieved by just how good it was and how much i enjoyed it i actually i know i planned to watch the episode twice which you pointed out was never going to happen it didn't um but i did actually end up watching it pretty much not pausing it at all and just being able to just, you know, write quickly and, and pay attention and kind of think about my notes after. So I was able to kind of just watch it through cleaner than I do most episodes. Because normally I'm looking for more tiny background stuff. Where this, there's more than enough going, off, going on in the foreground that you almost don't have to think about that. Yeah, for sure. Because the storylines or the the little subplots are a lot more thorough and they're, they're not rushed or done quickly there's a lot slower pace which means that note taking and and commenting on it was you know a little bit easier in regards to not having to pause and find all those little bits in a 28 minute episode um but as i said at the end of as one door closes i really went into it with the mindset of enjoying the episode for the episode and and I did take notes but actually it was it was real me time whereas some of the episodes that we review almost kind of almost kind of feels like work you know we do get we we are enjoying it and we are laughing but there is an element to it where we have to be concentrating and taking notes and trying to come up with points of interest and not that I wasn't doing that this time, but I was definitely letting that take a bit more of a back seat so I could just enjoy it. And it was so good. The episode is brilliant in so many different ways, regardless of the, the small holes or the coincidences. Sullivan's done an amazing job of, of writing essentially a Only Fools and Horses film there. And most importantly... I think the the greatest achievement is it just fits. It fits in 
where it is in the series. Mm. It fits seamlessly, considering it is shot on film and and we got those different sets. It it just worked effortlessly and seamlessly, which is one hell of a thing to put off. Yeah, it, it's an it's an achievement, a fantastically well executed piece of telly. Lots of challenges, and uh, you you could believe they did this every week. You know, if you watch this episode, you'd be like, "Cool, what's the next episode?" And expect the same again. Another ninety minutes. It 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 just feels right, and they make it all very. You know, it feels like that this is where the series belongs, and it's therefore makes sense that it's not long until the show does become the was it forty five or, you know, that does become the norm, and there are plenty. There are you know plenty more. Uh, lengthy specials as well and yeah, of course there are after after getting it so right once I bet the BBC couldn't believe what what product they had at the end and uh, I probably regret not, not letting them do it sooner I do think that that is I do think that this episode paves the way for the rest of all the the specials and I would say that the larger majority of Only Fools fans, the big fans, if you ask them their favourite episode, a lot of them are going to be those feature-length ones, Dates, The Frog's Legacy, Jolly Boy's Outing, obviously one of the the best episodes in the entire series. They are the ones that, again, are so good that they raise the bar for Only Fools and Horses even further, because there's so much more artistic licence. So thanks to this episode, I think we get all those other ones so it was a, a perfect platform to springboard that that feature length special side of the series so I think we need to bring this now to its uh, natural conclusion we are both exhausted but uh, thoroughly impressed and very much enjoyed ourselves and it's time now to look forward to the next episode what is our next episode Jay? So we're going into Series 5, and Series 5, which we did touch on before, was initially going to be in Series 4, but because of the mixing around, got pushed back to 5. And we've got From Prussia With Love, a little uh, repetition. We're going to ask Dearest Smother to come back and join us for the new series. So if you did like some of the uh, older insights and some of her musings, then she'll rejoin us for that as well you remember much about this episode bob i think so yeah i'm pretty sure i remember this one quite well it's uh probably the first time we've had a female in the flat for a long time (laughs) so it's uh it'd be nice to have another another female character to get to know again We've, we've not really had that for a little while now i don't think it'll be good to have a female character that isn't a complete bitch that's for sure yeah an actual yeah very likable female character uh yeah it's good it's going to be fun so another milestone um for us our first feature length or at least our two two parts of feature length where if you have managed to keep up with these and slog through these episodes with us then thank you so much i'm glad that we held your interest i'm not sure that we have held everyone's interest because it was long um but if we have i'm not sure i've held my interest let alone <laughs> anyone else's no. No, i think we've done well But if we have, that's absolutely great. Uh, Thank you, as always, for joining us. We will see you next week for uh, From Prussia With Love. Only one last thing to leave, obviously, is going to be the music. Um, Still not much music going on, but a lot of my heart is in 
the Netherlands, should we say, rather than Holland and Amsterdam. So I'm just going to play us out with some really kind of cheesy, classic, uh, native Dutch umpar um, style carnival music, which I have been over for, been over for carnival in Holland, and it is just a massive street pie. Lots and lots of fun. So I will grace you with some of that music and catch everyone next week. Thanks very much, Jay. It's a bit emotional. Cheers, bud. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, forward slash OnlyFoolsBrothers, or on Twitter, we're at OnlyFoolsBros, or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at OnlyFoolsBrothers at gmail.com. Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Thank you.